the firemen, anytime we had a big fire, within a week or two after we'd had the fire, we'd get together and I get, we'd have, I guess what it's called a debriefing. All of us that were there at the fire, we would uh, get together at one of the fire stations and we would talk about how the fire had gone. Uh, we'd talk about the things that went right, the things that went wrong. And the reason we did this was the things that went wrong or the things that could have gotten better, we could have done better or faster, we wanted to discuss that so the next time we could do better. We could learn from our mistakes and the next time we could do better. And the thing that every single time came up, years and years and years, was communication. And there's a good reason for that on the fire ground. You've got the SCB SCBA mask on, uh, you've got extreme physical exertion, you know, it's like trying to talk while you're running. Uh, you're climbing ladders, you're in a, uh, inside with the fire, you got all these people doing all these things, you got all these people needing to talk at the same time. Uh, you got these thick gloves on and you're trying to push the button on your radio to talk and you may, may not get it done and you hear parts of what someone tried to say. And it, it is really hard on the fire ground to have good communications. And the thing I've noticed over the years, this December, Angie and I will have been married 40 years, watching my marriage, watching the marriage of my kids, talking to, to all of you, and you know, we talk about marriage and stuff, just like on the fire ground, the thing that keeps coming up over and over and over is difficulty in communicating. And there's two reasons for this. One is we're people. And the other is that marriage is made up of opposite people, a man and a woman. And it doesn't matter what they say on TV or in the news, men and women are different. And we see things differently. May have, you may have heard the uh, phrase of looking at the world through rose-colored glasses or pink-colored glasses or looking at the world through blue-colored glasses. Years ago, there was a book that said, uh, women are from Venus, men are from Mars. We're just different. And sometimes it's almost like trying to communicate to someone that speaks a different language. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how to communicate more effectively in a marriage. Now, I read a book years ago about different types of personalities, and I felt like that this woman that wrote the book, she described me so perfectly, and described Angie, described me so perfectly, I felt like she had been watching inside my window spying on me. And, but the things I want to talk about this morning are so common, don't think that I'm speaking specifically to you. Because anything I mentioned is going to apply to most people here today. So don't say, oh, well, Danny's preaching at me. Well, I am and I'm not. I'm preaching to everybody. But like I said, these things are so common that we're all going to think, you know, that this is directed at me. The first thing I want to talk about when it comes to communication or some, some givens. I mean, just things that you just got to do. I mean, it's, it's a given. It has to be done. It has to be this way. If, if You cannot expect to have a good marriage if you're going to do the opposite of these things here. So let's talk for a few minutes about some givens. The first thing is that your marriage, after the church, your marriage is the most important thing in this world. 
Now, a lot of people think that their kids are, and the kids come between the husband and wife, but the most important thing in this life is your marriage. Let's read in Ephesians 15 where he's talking about husbands and wives, or Ephesians 5. In verse 22, <clears throat> Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. You see how he's already started comparing marriage to the church. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And he goes on to compare marriage to the church and, and love of Christ, the love of husband, etc., etc. And then in verse 31, he quotes from Genesis where God created man and woman. God said, For this reason a man shall leave his mother or father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now get this part right here. He's been talking about marriage, right? It's obvious. He says in verse 32, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Now, now how do you get from husbands and wives to Christ and the church? I'll show you. If you know sign language, you know what this means. This means the same. This finger is just like this finger, and we're putting them right up here. They're the same. And marriage and the church are just, just exact, just mirror opposites. They're the same. They just, they just go together just like this sign here. They're the same. And so you've got to remember, when you're having some intense fellowship with your spouse, that this marriage you're in is the most important thing in this life. And you got to take good care of it. you got to be careful. When you get something new that you like, a car or house or jewelry, whatever, you get something that's new and special, you take good care of it. You've got to take good care of your marriage. It's the most important thing in this life after the church. One thing is, a given is don't let things build up. If you look back at, at the arguments and fights and discussions that you had, a lot of times, there was just something that kind of got on your nerves that your husband did, and you didn't say anything because it was just a little thing, right? But every time he did it, it just gets on your nerves, and it just builds up, and it builds up. And if you know anything about mechanics and stuff, almost all things that deal with pressure, like air tanks and propane tanks, uh, stuff like this, have what's called a pressure relief valve. Because if the pressure gets too great, rather than just some pressure blowing off, now you've got an explosion. And that happens in marriage. You, instead of dealing with something, when it comes up, you just let these little things build up. And you look back, and some of the arguments that we've had have been over the simplest things. And the little simple thing wasn't worth arguing about. It's the fact that the pressure had built up. Colossians 3 and verse 19 says, Husbands... Love your wives and be not bitter against them. That's what happens when you let things build up. You start getting bitter. Have you ever been bitter against someone? Then they can't do anything right. And it all started with something little that you neglected. Don't let things build up. Discuss it and get it out of the way. And then most of the rest of this lesson we don't need. Here's something I read in a book. And you've heard me say it before. If either of you get mad... You both lose. 
Now that means you've got to control your temper, but you've also got to be careful about what you say and don't make the other person mad. Now, I'd never heard the word narcissist, or well, I'd heard the word, but I didn't know what a narcissist was until about 10 years ago. And uh, I was around the, I guess I've been around narcissists all my life, just never noticed it, but I was around one particular individual. And, uh, and I really started seeing how a narcissist operates. I think a narcissist is just someone who's an extremely selfish, self-centered person. But a narcissist is very good at being really cool and calm and collected, but saying just the right things to push your buttons. And they're sitting over there just cool and acting all nice and everything, but they're just secretly doing all these things to push your button, and you're getting madder and madder and madder and madder. And if you do that to someone, it's their fault if they lose their temper. But it's also your fault because you did it to them. And you knew you were doing it to them. If either of you get mad, you both lose. When, when you get mad, one of you starts getting mad, it's time to end the conversation and say, let's talk about this later. Go out and chop some wood, read a book, go for a walk, do something, calm down, and come back later. If you've ever seen on the job, when people get mad, it gets out of hand. And on the, on the job, we're good about not letting it get out of hand. If either of you lose, uh, get mad, you both lose. Before you begin a discussion with someone, you need to go into it being ready to forgive. If you've got a bad attitude when you start a, an argument, or conversation, intense fellowship with your husband or wife or, or uh, kids, you need, you need to wait until another time. You need to go into a, situ, uh, a discussion being ready to forgive. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 32, Paul says, And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ also forgave you. When Jeremy led the prayer this morning, and the prayers that you prayed at your home this week, did any of us go to God in prayer asking to be forgiven but thinking he wasn't going to forgive us well of course not that's what's called the grace of God we believe that he will forgive us and so we can go to God in confidence and not be afraid before we be you begin a discussion that's going to get intense you need to be ready to forgive the other person so here's how to have a discussion with someone when we disagree on something. The first thing to say is what you want. Just simply say, I would like to talk to you about something. State what it is what you would like to talk about. And then state what you want. Say, it really aggravates me that you just throw your clothes on the floor and leave them and, and I have to clean up after you. I would really appreciate it if you would pick up your clothes and take care of them yourself or whatever. And then stick to that one thing. Because a lot of times we just, we get mad and we just gripe at somebody, we, we blow up, and then what does that do? Well then they blow up, then they point out one of our sins, and now we've got a big, what are we talking about? 
We're just throwing everything, a big pot of stew. Start with one thing and stick with it. State what the problem is and what you would like to see, uh, see, see done about the problem. Here's, here's a given also. No profanity. If you were in a courtroom, and I've been in a courtroom several times with friends and family and people, and I've watched, you treat that judge with respect. One of the rules, for example, is you can't wear a cap in there. And if you come in without a cap, or with a cap on, the judge is going to ask you to remove it. And if you ignore it, he's going to warn you. And if you can insist on wearing your cap, you might get thrown in jail for several days to teach you a lesson about respecting the judge. Now, would anyone go into a courtroom, especially if you're guilty of something, maybe you, you were speeding, you did get a speeding ticket, would you go in and cuss at the judge? Would you, you blankety blank? You might go to jail for uh, several weeks or a month. Now, why? If we wouldn't insult this strength, we wouldn't use profanity with this stranger, why are we going to do this with someone that we love, someone that we married, and someone that we promised to love and to cherish, to honor and respect and sickness? No profanity. If you're using profanity, uh, you're just not serious about getting along with somebody. Now, there are exceptions. Marlon Cole and some guys at church uh, converted this old guy, or a couple, in church and this guy had never grown up in church and I think he'd been in the Navy and he just couldn't help cussing and he was the sweetest friendliest old guy and we'd be after church and we'd be talking and he'd let a word so <gasps> he was so embarrassed it, he just always had done that but that's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about someone that gets mad and starts using profanity if you're using profanity you're not serious about getting along don't lie Especially if you're going into counseling, don't lie about your spouse. If you're telling lies, if you're not admitting the things you've done wrong, you're not serious about getting along. And you need to just come out and say that. Say, I don't want to get along. But I don't really think that's the case, is it? I think we all want to get along. So don't fall into Satan's trap of lying and using profanity. I called my brother David in Lubbock, or in Canyon, you know, outside Amarillo. And I asked him, I said, what are some things that you and your wife have done that uh, have worked and then the things you've done that are wrong? And my brother happens to be a salesman. He's in refrigeration. And he told me, and I'm going to specify a con contentious situation, but when you're in a contentious situation, listen to every word that comes out of your mouth. Because the wrong word can ruin everything, but the right word can smooth things over. And if you do say the wrong word and your wife says, you told me and you realize that you shouldn't have said that thing. You're right. I, I didn't really mean that. What I meant was, be careful of the words you use. Don't throw around words like hate. Be careful. Pay attention to the words you use. Jesus said, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. <clears throat> don't interrupt. We don't like to be interrupted. 
James said, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. And if we're interrupting, we're not slow to speak. We, we can't wait for the other person to finish before we got to say what we got to say. Don't interrupt. You don't want it done to you, don't do it to the other person. Apologies. This is not an apology. I'm sorry, but because what you're fixing to do is put the blame on the other person. I'm sorry, but if you hadn't done that, I'm sorry, but you made me mad. Here's what an apology, and here's something else that's not an apology. I'm sorry you feel this way. That's not an apology. Now you can say with Jacob, I'm really sorry that happened to you. Now you're not apologizing to Jacob, you're just saying that I really feel bad about this situation. But when we're talking to two people, here's an apology. I'm sorry, I did this thing wrong, I won't do it again. You can't apologize for someone else, you can only apologize for yourself. I'm sorry, I, and then, and so on. And you say, well, yeah, that's obvious. Yeah, it's obvious, but everyone does it the opposite. I've seen everybody do it. Because we want to justify ourselves. Well, I'm sorry, but, and we try to shift the blame off ourselves. It's hard. To, my dad told me years ago, he said one of the hardest, he said it takes a man to apologize. Because when you're doing a true apology, you are accepting guilt for what you've done wrong. And that is very, very hard to do. My dad said only a real man can apologize. If you're going to, if you're going to use the word sorry, make sure it's sincere. Here's something else my brother told me. He said that, now he was divorced and had two kids, and uh, then he got remarried, and his second wife had a daughter, and uh, she was real young at the time, so she, David's like her dad. And David told me that when they had supper, that was a, uh, what did he call that? I think he called it a, uh, a no blame zone. When they sit down to dinner, they could talk about anything and they would not be criticized or recommend, uh, reprimanded. And he said as a result that his daughter told them things that she that no teenagers tell their parents. Now it wasn't, she never did anything bad. She didn't do drugs, she didn't go out and get pregnant, she didn't do any stuff like that, but still. Teenagers often don't talk to their parents, but he said she told us stuff that, that uh, she never would have told us otherwise. With your, not just your spouse, but your family, be approachable. Be a person that people feel comfortable talking to. And I will admit that the first thing I do, or one of the first things I do, is get mad. And that makes it very, after 40 years, it makes it very hard for Angie to talk to me. And remember I talked about earlier about not letting things build up? When someone's hard to talk, you've had a boss that's hard to talk to. You would like, to, you got a problem here at work, you would like to get it fixed or everything flows more smoothly, but your boss is hot-headed, he's hard, you just can't talk to him, he doesn't listen. Do you feel comfortable talking to him? Well, of course you don't. Don't be that kind of person. 
Be the husband, be the wife that your spouse can talk to. Be the parent that your teenager can talk to. Let me ask you a question. If you've got a sin, and we'll just call it a secret sin, and it's something that you struggle with, and it's something maybe you've struggled with all your life, and it's something that you're ashamed of, who do you want to talk to about it? Well, some of you I know really well. Some of you I know pretty well. And some of you I just see at church. And if I've got a sin that I'm embarrassed about and I'm ashamed of that I would hate to admit to you, who's the best person to talk to about that? I might not even feel comfortable talking to an elder. I tell you who's the best person to talk to your best friend. Someone that knows you, accepts your faults, likes you anyways, been with you forever. And hopefully, one of your best friends, if not your very best friend, is your husband or your wife. Be the kind of person that when your wife needs help, she can talk to you about it. Don't be the husband that gets mad and flies off the handle and makes your family afraid to talk to you. Be approachable. And like my brother David said about his family, he said they learn things that they, they never would have learned if they had been hard to, hard to talk to and hard to approach. He called it a no judgment zone is what he called it. Here's something I heard one time that I really like. Give the other person the benefit of the doubt. If something can be taken two ways, take it the good way. And I'll give you an example. Someone pulls out in front of you, why that, well, I'm in a, that blooming idiot, then they see me coming, and then I get up there and I pass them, and it's this little old lady, maybe a foreign lady, you know, a little Mexican grandma, that just can barely see over the steering wheel. And she didn't see me. She wasn't pulling out in front of me to be mean to me. It was an accident. I even had that happen to me recently. I sit kind of tall. My pickup in the mirror is right here at eye level. And I was out on one of those country roads. And uh, I looked that way. And there's a metal fence right there, too. That didn't help any. And I looked this way. And I started to go. And I got out there. And I pulled right out in front of a car. What had happened, there, there, it was kind of a small car, and they were right here, they were slowing down the turn, and they were behind my mirror, and I did not, and I looked, and I did not see them. Now, would it have done any good for them to honk their horn and, and lower their window? And No. So, if things can be taken two different ways, give someone the benefit of the doubt. Uh, in the Love and Respect series, he says, treat your spouse as a goodwill person. And I know most of you here, and I think you're what's called a, a goodwill person. You want to do the right thing. And we know that the flesh is, or uh, the spirit is willing. We want to do the right thing, but the flesh is weak, and we don't. If things can be taken two ways, take it the good way. Timing. I was always the type of person, if there's a problem, let's fix it right now. But if you ever, coffee, <laughs> a lot of us joke about coffee. You know, 
don't talk to you. You've seen the coffee cup? That, that, uh, if you got this much coffee in your coffee cup, says don't even think about it. Keep waiting. Not yet. Now I'm ready to talk. <laughs> Sometimes it's not a good time to talk. We talk about getting mad when someone's tired. Danielle likes to use the word hangry when you're hungry and angry. <laughs> After you've eaten, you feel better and you feel more like talking. Sometimes right in the middle of a situation is not a good time to talk. And, and be the, be the grown-up in the situation. Say, tell you what, let's wait until a better time to talk about this. I told my kids, going back to, I guess, being reproachable, of course, I've always been one to fly off the handle. I said, you what? <laughs> Michael, one time when the kids were grown and they were all there at the table, and that, Michael said, Dad, I'm going to tell you a story. He said, don't ask any questions, just listen. <laughs> So I said, okay. He goes, now this is back when he was a teenager, 16 or 17. He said, one time me and my friends uh, got a, maybe a paint can, I can't remember. And they set it out in the field. He said, we got a cup of gasoline literal on fire. I said, you what? He said, no questions. <laughs> Just listen. <laughs> so, uh, well, the rest of the story was they set the little gasoline by the paint can. And he said, then we got way back, like 30 feet. I said, 30 feet? And he goes, Dad? <laughs> well, when they shot the paint can, they had the little fire going next to it, so they just pretty much had a bomb. <laughs> 30, from me to Jeremy, 30 <laughs> feet away. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, sometimes it's, it's, oh, what I was gonna say, I told my kids, I said, if you wanna talk to me, say this. Dad, can we talk? And that was a signal to me that somebody wanted to talk about something that I might get mad about and I needed to be quiet and just listen. Timing. Sometimes it's not a good time. It's okay. Here's the thing I learned. I learned it too late with my kids. If you punish your kids, and this goes for a spouse too, if you punish your kids and you get really mad and you, and you maybe when they're little you whip them, you give them 20 licks or or you sit in the room, or you ground them for two weeks. You can't undo it. Now, if you punish them and give them three licks, and you get to thinking about it later, you say, you know what? What they did was really, really serious. You can go back and you can ground them for a week, kind of like when someone uh, violates uh, what's probation or whatever. You can send them to jail, you know, if they're not. But once you've done it, once you've said it, you can't take that back. Timing. Wait until a good time. Don't, don't press your luck. Don't push the other person into a corner. Have you ever been at work? And uh, I've had good bosses and bad. And uh, your boss calls you in the office and says, says, did you do this? And you go, no. <laughs> But then I had another boss. One time, I may have told you this story, I had another boss, and I screwed up, is in the hospital, and it caused some problems, and I went and fixed it. I shouldn't have let it happen. I should have got to it sooner. And I went and told my boss, who was an older guy, had a little goatee like Colonel Sanders, and I said, I said here's what I did wrong. I said, uh, I'm really sorry. I, I, should, I should have got to it sooner and not let it go so long. I just want you to, I fixed it. I just want you to know, so if someone calls down here and complains. And he says, 
He says, well, the way I look at it is you've got to pay for your learning. Either buy your books and pay for college or you make mistakes on the job. Either way, you've got to pay for your learning. <laughs> he didn't grab at me. <laughs> That's the kind of person you want to be around. You don't want to be pushed into a corner. Don't do it to your wife. Don't push your, your husband into a corner, especially in front of other people. Don't embarrass them. Don't push someone into a corner. I'll just say this real quick and move on. You know, I said earlier, talk about one thing. Just one thing. Let's talk about this one thing that's don't bring in everything that we've done wrong for the last 40 years. Don't use the other person's sin to justify your own. Sweetie Pie, I'd like to talk to you about the way you talk to the kids. Well, you're not any better than I am. <laughs> oh, well, good. Now two wrongs make a right. Now the kids have good parents. Don't do that. If your spouse talks bad to the kids too, that's another subject for another day. Right now, they want to talk to you about the way you talk to kids. And if you're going to argue about two things at once, you're never going to get anywhere. You're just going to go around in circles. There have been times where Angie and I brought so many things into a conversation. 45 minutes later, I'm going, how in the world did we get onto this? Talk about one thing and don't use the other person's sin to justify your own. Talk about the one thing they brought up. This is something I learned from Kyle. He made a Facebook post. And I heard the word, and I didn't, didn't know what it meant. And he posted a little uh, deal on Facebook of a football referee. says, Faust is a, uh, uh, what's it called? Dichotomy? Uh, false dichotomy. There are more than two options. Let me show you. So, you don't love me. You never bring me flowers. So here's the two positions. You don't love me because you don't bring me flowers. And you do love me because you do bring me flowers. And since you don't bring me flowers, you don't love me. Now, are there more than two options in this situation? Well, here's, here's one possibility. In the house I grew up in, we didn't give flowers. I didn't know it was important. I love you with all my heart. But money's really tight now. We're, we're behind. We can't even pay the water bill. We're going to get our extra. I love you with all my heart. We just can't afford flowers. I'm sorry, honey. I've been busy at work. I'm sorry, honey. I, I love you so much, but I'm just scatterbrained. You see, don't put that burden on your, or your husband or your wife. Don't just give two options. Say you're a horrible person because if you weren't a horrible person, you would do this good thing. That, that also goes back to uh, if something can be taken two ways, take it the good way. Don't, uh, and here's one that's real important. Don't try to prove the other person wrong. This isn't a trial. When you go to trial, uh, let's say you've been accused of, maybe you run into someone in your car and it was an accident. But they're charging you with manslaughter, or maybe like some of these policemen, you know, first or second degree murder or something. What that, what the prosecutor is going to do is try to, let's say Kent's on trial. The prosecutor is going to try to make Kent look like the worst person that ever walked the face of the earth. They're going to bring up everything Kent, every traffic ticket he ever got. They're going to bring up every time the police were called. They're going to bring up Facebook posts. They're going to bring in Kent's enemies to say bad things about Kent. They're going to try to 
paint Kent to be the worst person so the jury will say, what a horrible person he is. We're going to agree to this charge of you know, second degree manslaughter or whatever. Your marriage is not a trial. What you've got to remember is it's not you against me. It's you and me against the problem. It's you and me against how we deal with the kids, how we spend money, whether or not we buy a new car, how we talk to each other. It's you and me against the problem. And if we ever get this attitude, you know, like in a trial where it's you against me, that's a no-win situation for marriage. That, I mean, if that keeps up, that's for sure going to uh, lead to divorce. So uh, two more things and we'll wrap it up. Recognize the downward spiral. Because what we used to do on the fire ground, um, you know, I said that we would get together and uh, talk about what went wrong. What we would do is we'd try to pinpoint where things started going bad, and then next time, either avoid getting to that point or when they got to that point, turn it around and, and fix it right then and there. So, so go along with me here for a second. Think about the last argument that you got into with your spouse, teenager, someone at work. So this happened, or this was said. And then you said this, and then they said this, and then they said this, and then you lost your temper, and they lost their temper, and then it just went downhill from there. Now think about the argument before, and the argument before, and, the, and you start seeing a pattern. You start seeing that somewhere, someone said something innocent, and then someone said something not so innocent, and it's just a downward spiral. You're letting the water out of the bathtub or out of the sink, and there's something floating, and it gets in there, and it just goes, and gets sucked down recognize the downward spiral, all these little things we've talked about, and stop it then. And you'll be glad, you'll be glad you did. There, there's times where I've done that in what could have turned into a horrible situation, uh, Angie and I. It worked out good. And those are the times I'm proud of. And then come to a conclusion. The Bible says, don't let the sun set on your wrath. He's talking to someone, he says, he says, she gets mad at me because I forgive too easily. She can stay mad for days and days. The <laughs> Bible says don't do that. Get it, get it solved. In first, uh, Matthew chapter 14 says if your brother's offended, you go and talk to him just between you two. And if, you, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. And that's what we want. We want to be on the same team. So that's a lot of stuff to remember. I hope you can remember a few things that I said. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And I believe from that verse and a lot of other verses that Jesus not only wants us to go to heaven, but he wants us to have a good life here. And he wants you to have a good marriage. And there may be some people here whose marriage is less than good. There may be some people here whose marriage is downright awful. 
There may be somebody on the verge of divorce. But Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life more abundantly. But the thing is, you've got to have faith, two kinds of faith. You've got to have faith in Jesus, and you do because you're here. You've got to believe that Jesus exists, but you've also got to believe him. And let me give you an example. Well, Hebrews 11, and <clears throat> chapter, uh, verse 6, where it talks about the faith of Noah and everything. He says, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. For you've got to do two things. You've got to believe that he is. You've got to believe that he exists. And you've got to believe that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You've got to think that God is so powerful and knows what he's talking about that if you'll do what he says, everything will be cool. Jesus sent his disciples on a ship to go to the other side. In the middle of the night, a storm came up and they were scared. And they looked out, and there was Jesus walking on the water. But did they believe it was Jesus? No. They said, it's a ghost. But Peter recognized that it was probably Jesus. And he says, Lord, if it's you, command that I come to you. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter was in the boat. And there's the water. And Jesus over there, and Jesus says, come, and he, he steps out on the water. Because he knew it was Jesus, but he also believed that if Jesus could walk on the water, Jesus wanted him to walk on the water, and he could do it. And he did. But then Peter looked around, and he saw everything that scared him, and he started to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And what did Jesus say? Oh, ye of little faith. So you've got to believe that he exists, but you also got to believe that he can do what he said he wants to do. Jesus said, I'm come that they might have life more abundantly. Your marriage, no matter how it is now, can be a lot better. You don't have to get a divorce. You don't have to live in misery. You just got to believe what Jesus said and do all the things we talked about. We always offer a song of invitation and, and I don't want you to feel like that you've got to come up here and confess to me your faults. Or You don't need to talk to me. You can simply go to Jesus in prayer. You can get your best friend. You can call someone aside later. Tomorrow you can call someone on the phone and say, hey, can we get together and visit? But while we sing this song, think about the things that we've talked about. And if there's a, a change you need to make in your life, Decide to make that change while we sing this song.